Good morning, Story family. Happy Sunday. Hope y'all are doing good. It's good to see your faces. I love you. Glad you're here. It's good to hear your voices, as always, as well, here in the Museum District. Um, We also are welcoming our Timber Grove campus over in the Heights at 8200 Washington Avenue. We love you, Timber Grove people, and um, every bit of part of the story is the folks gathered here are. We are one church in two locations. Also, I want to welcome everybody joining us online, whether it's uh, YouTube or thestory.church, our website, or whether it's Facebook. Um, We're we're really glad you're joining us wherever you are in the world. All right, uh, I'm Eric. I'm the lead pastor here. If we don't know each other yet, it uh, probably means you're, you're new-ish to the community and um, really glad that you took the time to check out the story this morning. Um, I think God's doing something really special here and not just in the lives of hardcore believers, but also in the hearts and minds of folks that just aren't sure about religion and Christianity and the Bible and preachers like me who stand up and say things like we know what we're talking about and folks that have a lot of questions. That's who we're here for. And uh, that was me not that long ago, so I kind of understand what that's like, and I'm really glad that you're here if that describes uh, sort of where you are in life. Um, We had a great week, maybe the busiest week I can remember in recent history at the story, which is weird because it's the end of July. You think that's when churches sort of kick back. Not so much at the story this week. We had a a packed week full of great things for young people. Also, um, the Summer of Love is well underway, as you know. Um, We are in week four of this message series, but part of this Summer of Love is something called Operation Matchmaker, this just harebrained idea that some guy thought up. I don't know who he is, but uh, <laughs> some, some guy uh, with a podcast called the Maybe God Podcast thought that maybe we should stop um, just expecting single Christians to fend for themselves and just find their own way in this messed up single scene in 2023. Maybe we can come alongside them old school style and match them up with each other and just see what happens. It's got to be better than Tinder. Anything's better than Tinder. So that's what we're trying to do. And we had our first event uh, to that end Thursday night at the Bad Astronaut Brewery um, near downtown. And we were blown away by the turnout. Um, we still had, a, a, I would say, an unhealthy ratio of uh, women to men. But uh, more men than I thought would show up showed up. Um, and, uh, and so... Uh, hopefully, uh, people got to know some good friends, made some meaningful connections, and who knows uh, what the future might hold in that regard. But we had a great time, and we'll have another one of these events in August. So thank you all for helping spread the word and pray for us as we discern which couples to send out on dates and things like that. It's going to be exciting and risky and scary and all those things. So uh, thank you for all your support. Because we like to do uncomfortable things at the Story Church, uh, I'm here today, as promised, to talk about one of the most uncomfortable topics um, that you will ever hear a preacher talk about in a church service. And uh, it's going to be probably unsettling, maybe for some of you unpleasant. I have people close to me, like dear friends who go to the Story that are like, we just wish you would never talk about that again. And... And it's because I understand it. The world is such an uncomfortable place. Why wouldn't we want to come to church and feel comfortable for an hour? You know, the world is so unsettling. Let's just come and be settled for an hour on Sunday morning. Is that too hard? Is that too much to ask, Eric? And if, if, that's, like, if that's like where your head's at and you don't want me to talk about what I'm going to talk about today, you'd rather just keep it, keep it light, I got two questions for you. Um, first of all, I love you, but why do you go to the story? (laughs) Because it's literally one of our three core practices is challenging comfort. Like, we just don't believe we should stay in our comfort zones and just feel 
good. I think that's like akin to pulling the wool over your eyes and not seeing the world for how it really is, not seeing ourselves for who we really are. So we're going to talk about uncomfortable things, including um, today's topic. But um, secondly, I would just ask you, let's say hypothetically, thought experiment here. Let's say you're the parent of 10 kids. Let's say you've got 10 kids. I know that's a lot. Speaking of being uncomfortable, <laughs> like 10 kids, right? Okay. But let's say almost overnight, seven or eight of your children come down with the same sickness. They're struggling with the same symptoms. They are, you know, having the same shortness of breath or they're having the same, you know, um, life-threatening sort of things going on. And, and you know, it freaks you out. What, what's your course of action going to be in the face of seven or eight of your kids getting sick in the same exact way? Are you going to just keep quiet about it? Of course you won't. You're going you're gonna to ask the neighbors how their kids are doing. You're going to try and figure out if there's like some kind of a plague or virus or something contagious going on. You're going to contact a doctor, at least one. You're going to go to WebMD and find out the worst of the worst possible scenarios. You know, you're going you're gonna to do what loving parents do because you're concerned about seven or eight of your children who are all suddenly sick in the same way. Well, it's not a perfect analogy, I understand, but, but that hypothetical thought experiment does describe the reality of what we're looking at today when it comes to pornography and the work that uh, porn is, is doing on us and, and how it is affecting so many of us. Um, it's hard to pin down statistics. You know, statistics are squishy things sometimes, but... The best, most recent statistics about pornography and people who consume it or use it today in modern America is that somewhere just north of 90% of adult American males have uh, self-reported that they have uh, viewed pornographic material in the last month. Um, and then 60 or so percent of women, maybe that's surprising to you, probably shouldn't be anymore. The world is very different now um, in regard to pornography uh, than it was in the 60s and 70s, maybe, for some of y'all that, that have a little more experience under your belts, life experience, I mean, and, and, um, and you just remember porn being like, you know, the kitschy sort of videos where the pizza guy shows up and they, they fantasize or whatever. It's not that way anymore. It's not just men anymore. You know, it's, it's everywhere, it's ubiquitous, and if you put those numbers together, 90% of men and 60% of women, you've got 75% or so percent of people that are, that are self-reporting that they have viewed pornographic material in the last month. And many of them we know are, are likely to be viewing it more than just monthly. You know, there many users of pornography are viewing it weekly or even daily, multiple times a day for people that are really deep in that prison and, and pornography itself is evolving in our time. If you have been sort of out of that game for some time, congratulations. We all salute you, and, and great. Keep going in the direction that you're going. But you may not be aware that even just sitting and watching a video, even if it's on your phone, even that is becoming passe in the world of um, social media-based uh, pornographic material or, or virtual reality or... Uh, cam chats and sexting and things, all of that is really taking hold in ways that the next generation is um, really being immersed in. So as a pastor, as a church leader, I'm, I've got no reason really to believe that the numbers are much different for Christians than for non-Christians or than for the general public. There's no 
Well, there's a couple of studies that show that maybe our statistics are a little better. But again, I would expect Christians to self-report differently than non-Christians, if you know what I'm saying. It's like, no, what, me? Me? No. It's like, you know, Christians know it's wrong. We have reason to deny that, you know, we are a part of that. And so we're more likely to say no when the answer is really yes. But generally, the numbers are the same across the board. And so we've got a situation where it's very likely that seven to eight out of 10 of the adults watching this message here in the museum district over at Timber Grove or online, or in the future, if you're watching online in the future, seven out of 10 of you adults probably have accessed this sort of material and do access it with some regularity. So what are we to do? Just sit by and keep it pleasant? Act like it's not really going on? Of course not. Um, that's not the way we do things at the story. And so we're going to uh, talk about it um, today. All right? Now, the, the, one of the main issues with this topic, I think, is that um, the way that the, the general, um, let's say, secular world deals with it is by looking at pornography and people's use of it as a net neutral issue. Like, it might be a little bad, it might be a little good, it's somewhere in the middle, to each his own. That's generally how people um, look at, at pornography uh, and the, the use of it these days. Um, it's just no big deal. And here's the really scary part for many Christians who have our heads in the sand about this, is that the same narrative is true for, I would venture to guess, most young Christians today. Why? Because most, even Christian parents, most parents don't want to have the very difficult conversations with their kids about what's really going on at home or in their rooms or on their phones or whatever, okay? So I remember the first time I, I preached about this topic, and believe me when I tell you, it's not easy to stand up here and talk about this, but it gets easier every time I, I, I do it because I see how important it is. The first time I talked about this topic from a pulpit was at another church. Right after we arrived to Houston, we had gotten here. The story was barely even started at that point. And two 20-year-old, more or less, young men approached me after the message was over, after the service was over. I didn't know how this was going to go. I didn't know what they were going to say, but they were grateful. They were like, thank you for speaking out. We've never heard anyone at church speak out on this, and no one's ever told us that this stuff could be bad for us. No one. They had other voices on social media, influencers, and, and other people at their public schools saying, well, it can be good if it's used in the right way. That's the narrative. They said, no one's ever told us this could be bad for us. And here's the, here's the really tricky part. These were church-going kids from church-going families. One of them even said that the only conversation that his mom had ever had with him about uh, pornography was, well, if you've got to do that, then do that. It's better to do that than going out and sleeping with a bunch of girls. As if those are the two choices. As if that's all we can do. This, this, you know, this kind of filth or that kind of sin or, you know, we, we can't choose the third way of Jesus, the way of, of purity or, or anything else. It reminded me a little bit of one of the times that I was talking about this in a small group setting and one of my dear friends, one of my closest friends, I don't think he meant to do this to me, but I was telling the guys just, you know, how I still carry around some shame from the past and things like that. And I was like, yeah, it was, it was a problem for me. And, he, and this other guy, 
<laughs> this other guy said, once I was done bellyaching, he said, you know, it was never really a problem for me because I could always find the real thing. And I was like, if, if ever there was a way to make me feel even worse in a strange way about the problem. It's like, man, um, but there's more than two ways of dealing with this temptation, with this sin. It's, it's not just porn or, you know, the real thing. Um, there's more than two roads we can take. Now, unfortunately, uh, this casual manner of uh, talking about porn and treating it like it's a net neutral thing for us is very common in our society, very common in mainstream media. I did not have to look very far to find headlines from mainstream media outlets and even educational outlets that were celebrating the benefits of pornography. It's much harder to find headlines that, uh, that warn people about the dangers of pornography. This one comes from um, Salon. The one uh, says, nine surprising reasons why you should be watching porn. Um, this is a very widely read publication, or it was in 2016 when that was uh, published. Six reasons why your porn habit might actually be good for you. And then I believe we had the New York Times that said pornography can be good for consumers. Uh, and do we have one more? Yeah, this one from the uh, CU Independent. That's uh, the University of Colorado. Uh, let's talk about sex, the benefits of women watching porn. And uh, what's interesting to me about this, y'all aren't surprised by that, I know. This is not a surprise. The media says what the media says. But the, me the, the mainstream media's narrative for years now, especially in the last few years, has been that it is their duty to stick to the cold, hard facts and to follow the science, wherever it leads, right? Follow the science, follow the science. You remember all the pandemic and remember that? It wasn't that long ago. And the masks stuff and the vaccine stuff and, and all of that is up for debate, right? But, but, but the narrative was very clear. We have to follow the science. Well, um, you know, if that's true, and we have to follow scientific facts, especially where human beings are concerned and our well-being is concerned. Why do we never hear about studies like the ones I came across in my research? And I'll share a handful of them with you now. This is what the latest science is saying almost unanimously about the effects of pornography in our lives today. The 2018 study, for example, in the Journal of Marital Sex and Therapy said individuals who viewed pornography were more likely to experience loneliness 2019 study uh, in the Journal of Women's Health said women who consume pornography are more likely to conjure images of porn during sex with a real person, with their partner, maybe with their husband, and which in turn is associated with more insecurity about their own appearance, less enjoyment of the uh, intimacy that they're actually having in real life. Or the 2020 study, notice these are all modern studies, the 2020 study in Men and Masculinities Journal that said men's pornography use is associated with guilt and shame, increased objectification, sexual dysfunction, unhealthy expectations for sex, and poorer self-esteem and mental health outcomes. Poor mental health outcomes is almost always code for suicidal ideation, by the way. The 2019 study published in the Archives for Sexual Behavior, said that exposure to violent pornography was a significant predictor of teen dating violence, something I thought we were supposed to all really care about a lot. The 2020 study in Sexuality and Violence Journal estimated that one in 12, one in 12 United States adults have been victims of non-consensual pornography like revenge porn. One in 12, that's a lot. 
2020 study in the Journal for American College Health said frequent pornography use increased the odds of experiencing emotional abuse in real life. The 2020 study in the British Board of Film Classification said the majority of children, the majority of children are exposed to pornography by the age of 13. And many report feeling that porn has negatively affected them and or their peers. A 2021 study published in Health Communication Journal said consuming pornography predicts the likelihood of choking a sexual partner in real life. A 2018 study in uh, Archives of Sexual Behavior said analysis showed that persons who viewed pornography were more than twice as likely as those who did not view pornography to experience a divorce. We're not following this science, not in our cultural conversation about pornography, at least. If we're not going to follow the science, at least we can believe women, right? That's the other thing we've been told is very important, and and maybe we should start listening to the women who are closest to the world or the industry of pornography. Maybe we should listen to the voices of those on the inside, um, people, women that have seen it up close and have told the story of what it's done to them in real life. Riley Reed was voted uh, the number one adult film star in 2017. Uh, just five years later when she gave this interview, this was her story. I've lost my whole family and... It sucks. So a lot of times when people ask me if they should do porn, I tell them no. I tell them that it makes life really hard. It makes dating really hard. It makes your family life really hard. It makes intimacy hard. If you're putting yourself out there and the world is now judging you, you have to be okay with being shamed every day of your life. I don't even want to have children because I do porn because I'm worried with the way that people will treat my child. With me personally, my mom was supportive in the beginning. She kind of just let me do whatever, but I think it was a good thing. I had a lot of freedom. As time progressed and I became successful, I started to feel like my mom was using me so that she could live a more luxurious lifestyle. When I started to set like these boundaries, not giving her money or things like that, it made our relationship a bit more difficult and almost toxic. And so it sucks. I don't have a mom anymore. I don't talk to her. I miss having a mom. I feel like you can't rewind and you can't go back. I don't have that relationship with her anymore. I don't ever think I will. And that bums me out. Bums me out a lot. I talked to my dad and he struggles with my, my job being in the industry. He's also religious. Recently I wanted to go visit him and he said that I, I can't go visit because his wife, my stepmom, doesn't want me there. I'm not allowed to go visit my dad anymore because my stepmom doesn't like that I do porn. But then he told me that when I was like, can we like go get coffee and like we can go like get breakfast? And he's like, I don't want to be seen in public with you. And that just <laughs> hurt so bad. She was on top of that world. And now you get the sense she would do anything to go back and then ever enter in that world again. And this, she's, Riley Reed's not an outlier. The average lifespan of an adult film star today is 37 years old. The rate at which these folks take their own lives or induce their death through drug use or end up violently dying in some way or another is astonishing. And yet we're still going to pretend like all of this is okay. The science is clearly telling us a very clear narrative that we as a culture have decided not to follow for some reason. The women who, from within are telling us the truth about their life experiences. And there are no counter narratives. There's no like other adult stars that are like, this is the most wonderful thing. 
that I've ever done. I'm so glad that I did this. And look at my happy family and look how well-adjusted I am. It's just those stories aren't out there, at least not nearly to the extent that stories like Riley Reed's are. Counter-narratives in science aren't out there. You're not going to find a study that says, no, 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 actually, pornography is good for marriages. It helps marriages last longer. Those don't exist because that's not the case. And so, given all of this, the question is, I'm not just trying to bone you out, I promise. The question is, what are we going to do about this? If it's true that maybe seven or eight people out of every ten people here in this room and, and, and watching online and in the world around us are struggling with this to some extent, what are we going to do about this uh, problem? I've uh, made no secret about my own uh, struggle in the past. I feel no need to tell the whole story again, so don't worry. Uh, if you've uh, heard that before, I've preached about this about once a year since um, the story began in 2015. Um, and uh, I, was, I was exposed uh, to pornography for the first time when I was nine years old. It was not something I sought out. It was something I accidentally stumbled upon, as is often the case with nine, 10, 11-year-old children. And of course, naturally, I had an uh, immediate fascination with, let's say, uh, the female form, as any most young boys would, and, and that became, throughout my teenage years and throughout my 20s, an, a more unnatural addiction, or at least it looked that way, it behaved that way. Um, and suffice it to say, that habit almost ruined me. I, I came so close to losing everything that's most important to me today. I came so close to losing my family, the family that God wanted me to have. I came so close to, to losing my manhood, my masculinity, to becoming the man God created me to be. I came so close to losing you know, what, what eventually became my ministry through the Story Church and, and all the wonderful things we've experienced in the years since. I came so close to losing everything. And uh, as I've looked back over the years, I've realized I'm still carrying some regrets around with me. You know, I regret hurting my wife, who I love dearly. I regret um, compromising my relationships with other people. But maybe the thing I regret more than anything else is looking back and knowing that I used women who I'd never met women made in the image of God, I used them in such a way that I could never know if they consented to being used in that way. I, I wasn't there when those films were being made. I don't know if their consent was even a part of the process. I don't know if they're okay with that material being out there. And even if they are, one, one thing that I've learned by listening to the voices of women inside the industry is that even when there is consent and they get into it on their own volition, it's often out of a place of deep brokenness it's so often out of a place of uh, escapism. They want to escape the real world because it's just that painful. And they'll do anything to escape the reality of their background. There's a lot of fatherlessness, a lot of drug use. You can just imagine it. And so I've carried this heavy, heavy regret around with me for a long time now. But the good news for believers and followers of Jesus is that regrets are not the end of the story. Because while regret is quite a costly currency here on earth, it is not an acceptable form of payment in heaven. Regret is not a currency that the kingdom of God recognizes. Your regrets are no good in heaven. You will not need them in heaven. You won't take them to heaven with you. All of it will be settled. 
by the blood of Jesus and every debt, even yours, will be paid. So our God is not a God of yesterday's shame. He is the God of today's salvation. He's the God of tomorrow's hope. And so even if it's bad, and if it's bad, you know I'm talking to you, and I just want you to know you're not alone. Maybe no one else knows but you and God. Even if it's bad, I'm here to tell you that there's hope. That you don't have to give in to the narrative that who you are is who you'll always be. The narrative that this habit of yours is, a, is basically good for you. No, it's, you know it's not. You know it's a threat to your heart and soul, to your, to your relationships, maybe even to your marriage, if you're married. And so if you've been affected and are affected today by the scourge of pornography, I just want you to know that today can be a new day. And I'm going to share with you sort of my battle plan. I didn't have these words for them, but I look back and I'm like, yep, that's how I got out. And it's, it's a very simple plan. That's really all you need, by the way, is a little bit of faith, less than you think you need, a little bit of faith in Jesus, and a very simple plan to escape the trap you've fallen into. And then you need a little bit of courage to take the first step toward your freedom. That's it. So I want to walk us through um, how the Lord set me free. This won't surprise anyone or take uh, that much time. But it really boils down to three words when it comes to pornography and overcoming this uh, plague upon us. The first word is to demystify it. The second is to decode it. And the third is to destroy it. So in order to really initiate a battle against uh, the devil and his darkness uh, that he's uh, waging on you through pornography, you really have to demystify the issue. What do I mean with demystify? So mystify is connected to the word mystery. It's whenever there's mystery, there's like an unknown, and there's nothing scarier for many of us than the unknown. And, and when there is an unknown, we tend to overhype it in our minds. And that's what we do with pornography, by the way. That's why no one talks about it. Because we've all, when, we, when we're in it, we all become convinced it's a bigger deal than any other sin. It's like a super sin. It, like you can rob a bank and go to church and tell people and they'll let you take communion, but don't tell them what you did last night with your computer or your phone or whatever. That's, that's a bridge too far. Like, have you read the Bible? Have you seen the absolute freaks that God chooses to call and redeem and restore and save and send to save others. Have you seen who he saves? You think you're worse than Moses, the murderer? You think you're worse than David, the other murderer and adulterer? You think your porn habit puts you on a different plane? That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. And as long as you remain ashamed and silent about this struggle you're having, you're exactly where he wants you to be. But the other side of that is it's such a thin veneer that the enemy has placed on this problem. It's such a, and once you sort of break through that veneer, you're, you're like, what took me so long? And it's as simple as this. I'll tell you how the problem of porn is demystified today. By finding a place where it's safe to talk about it and seeking a community of people, maybe just one or two people, who will talk about it with you or at least listen to you. I can't describe to you the power 
that comes along with, the, with, with talking about it. When we de- demystify pornography, we disempower it. We take its power away. We, we make it from this unknown boogeyman in the closet no one knows about but us into this joke that one day we're able to actually laugh at because it's so ridiculous if you think about it. But at first, it has to be demystified. And to demystify, we have to talk about it. And I understand that's easier said than done. All I can say is if you're in a community, especially a Christian community, and you're not talking about this, you're doing yourselves and a disservice. And I think it reveals a lack of trust in the Spirit of God, actually. Because, for example, it, this is just one example of many in the New Testament and the Old, actually, where God compels us to uh, confess our sins to one another. James chapter 5, verse 16 tells Christians, confess your sins to one another so you can what? Be ashamed? Be belittled? Be ostracized? No. What's it say? Be healed. This is where the healing process starts. And if you're in a, a group of guys, or maybe you're not yet, but we will connect you to one soon, or, or if you're in a group of women that, where this is you know, increasingly an issue for women as well, man, I can't tell you the power that comes when one person chooses to speak up. All it takes is one. That's why from the beginning, I've just decided to preach about this once in a while. Like my third sermon ever at the story back in 2015 was about pornography. And everybody was like, well, that's weird. And then, you know, half those people came back the next week and stuck with me. And um, here we are. Uh, because some people, you know, it's, they're just not quite ready for it. But man, once we demystify porn, we take its uh, power away. Uh, after that, um, once we learn to demystify it, its, its power, we can also learn to decode pornography, decode pornography. You've, you've watched the movies in wartime movies, you know, the code breakers. There's always those great stories in global wars about uh, this back room, like full of nerds where they, they actually won, won the war by breaking the enemy's codes. And they were able to decipher what was really going on and what the enemy's plans really were. It's not exactly what it looks like. To decode the problem you're having with pornography means to really do the work of discerning what you're really looking for instead of just feeling bad about what you've merely looked at. Because most of the time, what we look at isn't the same thing as what we're looking for. The things we're looking at can be explained in all sorts of ways. And I know that we sort of have a... um, We sort of have a stereotype for someone who looks at pornography. Well, of course, Pastor Eric, it's clear what they're looking for. It's it's right there on their screens. They're pervs, they're freaks, whatever. This is part of the reason we're talking about this as part of our dating series. Because, frankly, I will say women on the dating scene have gotten so demoralized by the um, pornography effect on men on the dating scene that they've stopped even asking whether the guy they're thinking about seeing is a perv or not. They're like, the question is really just how bad is it? How bad is the perviness? And can it be managed? You know, it's like that's the sadness that's set in on the dating scene today. And it's not just men. Women are drowning in this world too, right? And so, what was I saying? Um, I'm just thinking how many of you are never going to be back again. Um, And so, uh, 
I think we become convinced that what's really going on is just sexual. And, and gosh, that is so naive. That is so insanely naive. And there's more science that backs this up, but I can say from my own experience too and the experiences of other guys that I've talked to in my groups and things, it's like so often when you really do the work of discernment, you see I'm not really looking for sex or a replacement for sex. I'm looking for a way to avoid dealing with my feelings. I'm trying to get around grieving a loss. I'm trying to not think about how I feel like a failure in my job. I'm trying to not worry about that assignment that I'm procrastinating for. You know, I'm trying to avoid real life. And that's why the Bible, I mean, speaks most clearly to this issue, I think, as a maturity issue. The Bible, the New Testament's always like, it's time to grow up. Men and women of faith, grow up, mature. You know, kind of like get over yourselves a little bit, grow up. And, uh, and, and, and see what's really going on. This is kind of what uh, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, um, verse 12, where he wrote, uh, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is uh, what brings us to our third uh, step in this battle plan. Once you demystify porn by talking about it and you decode what's really going on by discerning what actually it is you're looking for, keeping in mind, <laughs> I forgot to share this great quote, one of my favorite quotes when I think about what pornography does to us. It's from Chesterton, I believe. He said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God And the same could be said for every man and woman that clicks on that site or goes to that cam site or engages in this sort of material. We're all looking for intimacy with God, really. Once we take those steps, the third step really is to destroy, to destroy pornography. What this means is a, it's a pivot it is a turning point in your walk where a boy becomes a man, a girl becomes a woman, and a victim becomes a warrior. And I believe part of the problem, again, from the male perspective, isn't so much that men just can't get over the temptation of pornography. It's that men have no idea what their purpose is in life. We have a pandemic of purposelessness among men especially, Men who don't understand that they're not just called to play defense against the temptations that come our way. We are called to gird up our loins, to enlist in God's army and be warriors in God's fight against the darkness of this world. You're not just called to escape the sins that you've been enslaved to. You're called to free countless others as well. There's a whole world of slaves out there that are walking in the darkness you've walked in before, who are just waiting, hoping, longing to see some silver lining, to know there's a way out of whatever they're living in. And you have an opportunity, once you have escaped the chains of something like pornography, you have the opportunity to become a warrior in that fight. So that's what destroying porn's power means in your life. It means waging a spiritual war because you're sick of our enemy bringing the fight to your front door 
You're sick of feeling defenseless when you go to bed at night. You're sick of it uh, affecting or, or destroying your relationships with others. And you're sick of it interrupting your intimacy with God. You've had it. You've come to the end of yourself. You're sick of it. And you see at last pornography for what it really is, which is just a gift wrap box with no present inside. It's, it's an empty promise. It, it, is, it is nothing more than an empty shell, a spent casing, a nothing burger. It's fake. It's hollow. And once you get a taste of Jesus and what he has to offer, and you realize that Jesus offers you more beauty, more real intimacy in one day than your time with pornography could offer you in a lifetime, you're done with porn. So if you're struggling, and I know that many are today, I just want you to know you're not alone. Don't let the enemy confuse you or demoralize you by telling you it's only you. Even if it's bad, I promise you, I've heard worse. Many of us have probably seen worse and been uh, prey to this predator of pornography in our lives. Of course you're not alone. There's hope for you, but it's up to you. By the grace of God, it's up to you to take one step toward your freedom today. You don't have to figure everything out, and you might even slip up and fall again. Hey, it happens, but take one step toward freedom today by simply telling Jesus in your heart of hearts, I'm at the end of my rope. I've had enough of the status quo, and I need you Show me the way to a community, a small group of believers that can surround me and talk to me and hear me about this struggle I'm in. Lord, pray for it. Ask and you'll receive it. Today, we're signing up people for groups. We're starting that season again for the fall here in the Museum District and at Timber Grove, by the way, where you'll be having the opportunity to sign up for new groups. Don't let the enemy tell you you don't have time or you're not ready Christians are weird. He's right about that one, but it's still a lie at its core because he's trying to keep you from the freedom and salvation for which God made you. Believe me when I tell you that life not only is possible without this crutch you've been leaning on, but life is so much sweeter once you learn to lean on Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for opening our eyes today. This is not comfortable and not easy to think and talk about. And I celebrate the fact that not everybody here is, uh, is entangled in this particular sin or pattern. And I celebrate that, Lord, but many are in some way or another. <laughs> we don't even have to visit those sites to be tangled up in porn these days. Lord, it's, it's everywhere. It's on TikTok and Instagram, Lord. It's on HBO and Netflix. It's everywhere. We are just drowning in a pornographic culture. So, Lord, show us the way. We need you to show us the way, the simple path, the narrow way toward freedom in Christ. Lord, give us just, just enough courage to take the first step today, which is probably a little bit of confession, probably a little bit of uh, honesty and discernment, Lord. Show us how to fight this battle and give us the strength that we need one day at a time to resist temptation, to overcome it, and eventually to destroy it. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.